If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn to 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. We're in a series called Good Sins. The sins that we think that are actually good and maybe even become necessary that are just so commonplace that we're okay with it because everybody else is doing it. Good sins. The topic today is this. I want that. Coveting. I want that. I need that. Do you realize that it was actually announced in the New York Times? They wrote about how many advertisements that we see daily. Take a wild guess in your mind. Come up with a number. How many advertisements do you think you see from the time you get up to the time you go to bed in one day? Do you think it's 500? Do you think it's 1,000? The New York Times, here's what they said. They said it's on average anywhere from 3,000 to 20,000 advertisements that you see in one day, depending on where you live. 3,000 to 20,000 advertisements in a day. Now that's brands. You get up, you see brands. You open up the, the cabinet and you're getting your coffee out, you see brands for your coffee, right? Folgers or Starbucks or whatever else the brand is that you drink. It's brands everywhere. Walking down the, an aisle at the store, you see brands everywhere. Everybody's marketing. You turn on the TV, you watch TV for a few minutes, you're going to see something that's called a commercial. And what's their, the entire design is for what? To add, to get you to buy and to want to crave. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, hey, everything's good. You're watching TV. And next thing you know, you see an advertisement for McDonald's. And man, all of a sudden, McDonald's sounds awesome. It doesn't happen for you. It happens for me. I like McDonald's Cokes. Or maybe maybe you're looking and all of a sudden it's Luby's or Furs. No, still haven't hit it yet. Maybe Maybe it's Lone Star. Am I hitting, getting closer? Is it Texas Roadhouse? Anybody? Okay, now we're getting a little closer. Now we're starting to warm up. Or Olive Garden, or maybe it's Macaroni Grill. I don't know what it is, your favorite restaurant. All of a sudden, you see that food, and man, it becomes exciting, doesn't it? And you begin to say, you know what? I'm hungry. Hey, what should we eat today? Well, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, boom, you start thinking about it. A steak sounds good. You, you, you see advertisements daily. And if it's not on the TV, then what is it? Because you now DVR, and you don't watch commercials, Right? You get in the car, you're, on, you're driving. Next thing you know, the radio's on. And as the radio's on, in just a few moments, you're gonna hear advertisements, right? Laser hair removal. You know, I've got a lot of hair. Maybe I need to do something, right? You start having these weird thoughts. You hear weird commercials. You've never thought about those things before. And all of a sudden, an advertisement comes on and you're, you're, your mind is racing going, well, maybe I should invest in gold. You weren't even thinking about gold a minute ago. Now all of a sudden you're thinking, I need to buy more gold. The government, everything's just crashing. Advertisements, we see it over and over again. And what we have become accustomed to is this. Because we hear it so much, we think that it's normal to want, to crave, to desire. And it is a normal human function. The question becomes is how much do we allow it to run and dictate our life? All right, so if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 20, here's the story. Let me give you some background. We have a king. His name is Ahab. He is married to, help me out, Jezebel. Do you remember her? Most, most moms do not want to name their daughters Jezebel, even today, all right? She's, she's a wicked queen. She's, she's not a very good queen. So we have King Ahab and King Jezebel, our queen Jezebel. And here's the story, which if you would stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Kings chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 1, and here's what the Bible says. Now... Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. 
because it's near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. And God, I am so amazed by the opportunity to sing praises with my fellow believers. God, what an amazing opportunity it is to just sing and shout, to celebrate what you have done, how that, God, you're moving over the last few weeks, how that, God, you're moving in the hearts and lives of young people. We want to celebrate and say thank you. God, we also want to say thank you for how that you work in our lives and how that you want to speak today. God, we come... We have many cares that are going on, many things that are happening in our lives. And God, at this moment, here's what we're asking. We're asking that you would help us to lean in. Give us the ears to hear so that we can hear what you want to tell us today. God, we believe that you have a message for us. So God, would you speak loud and speak clearly into our souls? And then God, I'm asking that you'd give me the words to say so that I speak what you would have me to speak. I pray that you would give us the courage to apply it to our lives so that we will be a different people when we walk out of here. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. All right, so here's what we have. We have a king. He has a, a home in the Jezreel Valley. And in the Jezreel Valley, he goes, to his, he goes to his palace. And as he goes to the palace, he opens up his windows. He looks out over across the valley. And as he looks out across the wall, he sees this incredible, lush vineyard. It's, it's a beautiful vineyard. It's a vineyard that, hey, that's something I need, something I want. Now, let's be real honest. Is he the king? Yes. Does the king have vineyards? Yes. Does the king already have lands? Yes. The king already has many things that he already would claim. So he sees something else that he wants and he desires it. Is there anything wrong with wanting things? Think about it. Probably not. It's okay to actually want things. It's okay to say, you know what? It'd be nice to have a new pair of shoes. I had several people comment on my shoes, so let's just bring it out. Yes, they are blue suede shoes. All right, just, just so you know, we're breaking out. My, I bought these. I actually bought these. My wife did not buy them, okay, just so it'll help you out. She didn't buy them. I bought them, and I was so proud of them. I came home, and I bought them. I said, look at these shoes. These are awesome. She goes, you are not going to wear those. <laughs> not even. Yes, I am. That's why I bought them. And she goes, well, how much did you pay for those? I said, babe, it was on clearance, and then on top of that, it was on sale because And she goes, do you know why? Nobody wants those. I said, babe, it's a a deal. It's a humdinger right there. And then she asked me the ultimate question. You ready? She goes, Heath, would you wear that to Dumas? Dumas is north of Amarillo. That's where I'm from. It's cowboy country. And I said, there's not a chance I'd wear that in front of my dad or my papa. (laughs) So she's like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm wearing them to church. It's going to be good. It's all right. So anyway. Is there anything wrong with wanting things? There's nothing wrong inherently in wanting things. It's okay. You see something, you're going, hey, that's not a bad movement. It's, It's okay. Now, here's where we have to start walking through it. Are you ready? So the king sees this vegetable garden. And let me show you some pictures. Um, As we were in Israel, we came across this area, and up on the hill, up on the left side of the picture, what you'll see is is the hill. This is where the palace would have set, and down the slope would have been the 
Naboth's vineyard. So just right out here where those trees and in this, this area where they're still farming, still ranching, that's actually Naboth's vineyard right out here. So you go to the next slide and you can see they still have um, vineyards right out here in that area. It's still very fertile. Jezreel Valley is a valley where in the future you're going to have something very significant happen. Do you remember? It's the Battle of Armageddon is going to be happening out here in this, this, this area, okay? And so you can see the next picture. It's a very fertile plush land. Now, here's the question. Is there anything wrong with the king wanting a new piece of land? No, not inherently. He goes and he asks a simple question. Hey, Naboth, you're the owner. I want to buy it and I'll give you a fair price. Does the king have enough money to buy it? Yes. Is he going to be going in debt over the land? No. So he's asking good questions. He's, he has enough money. He can buy it. He can afford it. He has the ability to either offer the money or he has the ability to give another vineyard for it. So financially, the king is not doing anything wrong, correct? He's not going into debt over this. He's not, he's not losing out. He's, he's handling his finances correctly. He asked for Naboth to sell it and the response was simply, no can do. I can't do it. It would be offensive to God. This is my inheritance that's been passed on. I cannot sell it to you. Here's where we began to have the problem. When you want something and you want it so bad that it, you become jealous over it and you say, I have to have it. Jealousy, according to the Webster's 1828 edition, talks about how that it's when somebody else has an advantage over you and you can't stand it. So the king now is the king and he's just been told no. And he says, what? You mean I can't have that? You can't tell me no. Now watch how he begins to move. Watch his next step. When you are told no, that you can't have it, what do you do? How do you respond? Well, he, you, know, I, you know, coveting, I don't really do it that bad. It's just little things. You know, I see things that I want, and I just, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's just, you know, the new pair of shoes. It's just a new pair, it's just a new gun. I need a new shotgun. I need a new rifle. I need a new handgun. Or maybe it's that new boat, or maybe it's that car. It's, maybe it's just a shopping spree. Maybe it's just a weekend away. Whatever it is that you begin to say, I want, I need, how do you respond when you don't get it? How do you respond, men, when your wife says, no, not tonight? Yeah, that's pretty tough. How do, you, how do you respond when you actually realize, ladies, that there's not any more money in the bank account for you to actually go on that shopping spree? What do you do? How do you respond? Or maybe it's out on the ball field and you don't get the hit that you want. You don't get the call that you want. How do you respond? Are you tracking with this? Here's what the king does. I love this. All right, you ready? Verse four, and Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth said. And he begins to cry and pout. He says, I will not give you the inheritance. And now he does something amazing. The king in all of his glory, he lays down on his bed and he turns his face into the pillow <laughs> and he won't eat a big baby. Come on. Have you ever seen a grown man? Th- Don't raise your hand. Have you ever seen a grown man throw a fit? Man just starts pouting. He just starts, and he turns away all the food. Hello. Now we expect little kids to do this, don't we? We expect little kids. I mean, little kids, you've seen little kids, man. You say no, and all of a sudden the tears just start coming. Boom. 
and they just start crying and crying. And the next thing you know, when you say yes, because you're so, you're, you're pulling your hair out and you're so done with the crying, and you say yes, all of a sudden the tears dry up, right? And then you know you've been had. You're like, oh boy, not good. Have you ever seen teenagers throw fits? Hello. And you know, we just get mad and, and I don't get what I want. So we slam the door, we pout. We give the cold shoulder to the parents and we don't let the parents know what's going on anymore. And so we just kind of just shut them out. Or maybe as adults, you've seen this and you just become, you see what happened with the king is he can't stand somebody telling him no. He wants that vineyard so bad He can't stand that somebody else maybe has an advantage on him, has something that he doesn't have. Did the king have other vineyards? The answer is yes. He just didn't have Naboth's. And here's what happens with us in our world. We live in such a world in which we see so many other things. We already have a pair of shoes, but we think we need another funky pair, right? Pay attention. And so we get to this place where where we start looking at it and we start saying, I've gotta have, I've gotta have, I've gotta have. I need it, I need it. And if we don't get it, we start throwing fits, we start pouting. And we're now, we can't stop thinking about it. So now you, you go to bed and you start thinking, you know what, it would really be nice to have that new car. I really need a new car. I, I need that car. And you start telling yourself, and you are the greatest salesman you have ever faced. Right? You can sell yourself anything. And you start justifying, I need this, I need this, I have to have it. And here's all the reasons why I need, and you just lay it out. And it just throws King Ahab into such a weird place. He can't stand it. He can't even eat anymore. Maybe for some, you're going, well, Heath, I don't respond that way. It's a good thing you brought that up. Because let me show you the wife's response. Now, the Bible tells us that he who finds a A good wife finds a good thing. So if you find a bad wife, then you found, you got a bad problem, all right? Here we go. So here's what we have. Now, ladies, I'm not saying anything negative towards you. I'm just talking about Jezebel here. Here's where we go. Follow along, number five. So Jezebel, the wife comes in. She says, hey, king, why are you so upset? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you eating? Verse six. And he says, and then he begins to whine. Just read it. It just whines. Because... (laughs) I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite. He, he wouldn't give me your vineyard for money. I even said, please. Right, is what it says. I even said, please. For if, you, if not, I will give you another vineyard. And he said, I will not. Can you believe he told me no? It just, it's just wine, 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 wine. Give you some cheese because he's just going on and on. So Jezebel says, hey, king, don't you govern the land? Aren't you the man? Aren't you in charge? She says, why don't you just get up, go eat, be cheerful, and I'll take care of it. I'll get you that vineyard. I will take care of it. Now, here's a new level. So we go from jealousy, he needs something, he wants something, he sees something else. Now he goes into this covetous spirit, and he can't handle it. And what Jezebel does is she takes that covetous spirit, and she says, I will enable it, and I will get it. And here's what she does. She moves into a new level. Watch. You ready? Because this is a word, and you're going to push back really quick. So prepare yourself. Don't push back too far. She goes into competition mode. Well, Heath, I think competition's good. I'm an athlete. It's what drives me in business. Competition. It's all about destroying the other person. Are you with me? 
competition. I've got to destroy. And so here's what Jezebel does. She moves into this new level and she says, I have to get it whatever it costs. It does not matter what I have to do. That boy, that man will not tell the king, the queen, we can't have it. And they move in to this competition mode. So there's a good chance, some of you listening here is this, that while you may not go from pouting or go from coveting and wanting something and when you hear no, you don't go into the pouting mode, there's a good chance there are some in this room that you go right to competition and you're willing to destroy anything and anyone who stands in your place if you don't get what you want. Now, let me help you. I'm gonna give you healthy competition so you don't blow me out of the water yet, okay? Hang in there. Here's some healthy competition. How do you know if it's healthy competition? Let me give you a few things. Healthy competition starts with this. It causes you to have a greater vision. So you sit back and, and let's, just, let's just use a simple illustration like in business. Your, your coworker, your coworker is just, man, they're, they're excelling, they're doing well in the competition in the workplace. It causes you to have a greater vision. You're going, well, if they can succeed and they're doing well, then, then I can do this. It increases your vision. We could do more than what I'm doing now. Does that make sense? It's, that's a healthy thing for you. Number two, healthy competition. It causes me to consider the consequences. It causes me to step back and count the cost. Because if you want to go to a new level, understand that every new level that you go to, every new level of, of success, it's gonna cost you something. You're gonna have to leave something behind in order to go higher, right? So if you're gonna leave something behind, you have to count the cost. And competition does something for you. If I really want to be the world's greatest golfer, then it's gonna cost me something. That means I have to go out and play golf every day, right? It's gonna cost me something. So it's okay for you to sit down to count the cost and say, is it worth me giving everything up for in order to get this, to count the cost? Number three, healthy competition is good because it causes me to work harder, to work harder. It's okay to work harder. It's okay to, to simplify and say, you know what? I need to put a little bit more time into this if I really want this to be the, my best effort to work harder. That's good. Number four, it causes me, competition can cause me to maximize my, my potential. You know, sometimes it's, it's that competition that actually pushes us to go to our limits to actually reach and maximize who we are. That's okay. That's good. And then number five, a healthy competition, I can still congratulate others when they beat me, go further than me, and I can still win and I can still succeed and still congratulate others if they don't. I can do either way. I can be a good winner or a good loser when it's healthy. Let me show you unhealthy. Ready? Unhealthy. Unhealthy. I become singular vision. I have solo vision. That means nothing else matters anymore. Nothing else has priority. Nothing else is important. I no longer see anything else. I only see winning. And what it begins to do is it causes me to neglect the consequences you don't care about the consequences. You don't care who you hurt. You don't care what happens as long as you win. You don't care if you have to actually be mean. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, hey, maybe I need to undercut. Maybe I need to lie. Maybe I need to cheat. Maybe I need to forge some signatures. Maybe I need to actually take and, and, and maybe not give a full report of what's going on. You no longer care about the consequences as long as you win. 
You move to the next level, the next part of it. If it's unhealthy, it's unhealthy because when you begin to neglect your responsibilities. The king and the queen had responsibilities to govern and to take care of the land. But what they did was this. No longer were they willing to take care of the responsibilities of taking care of everybody else in the kingdom. They stopped focusing on their responsibilities in order to win this simple little desire. Next. Unhealthy. You know it's unhealthy when the negative emotions begin to flare. Negative emotions, whether you're pouting or maybe whether you're actually angry and upset. It's unhealthy when you begin to wish bad on others. You wish that they actually die, kill over, get hurt, somehow be removed. It's unhealthy. Now, follow this. So here's what the queen does. You ready? She says, king, eat. I've got this covered. So they began to plot, and here's what she does. She says, let's call everybody together. Let's, ha- let's have a big party. Let's have a big fast. We're gonna bring everybody together, and here's what we need to do. We need to find two worthless men, two men who, who um, don't mind lying, two people who, are, who have no character at all. Let's bring them in, and let's take Naboth and set him up in the, in the preeminent place for everybody to see at the party. Everybody's gonna know who he is. Let's put him up at the preeminent place. And then let's put these two worthless men on the other side and these two worthless men in the middle of the party, here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna jump up and start screaming and yelling, saying Naboth has offended, has blasphemed, has talked ill about God. Everybody will be in an uproar because it's at a party and it's so prominent, they're gonna have to do something about it and they'll take Naboth out and they'll stone him. And that's exactly what they did. In the midst of the party, they start yelling, Naboth has rebuked and blasphemed God. So they take Naboth out and they stone him. Now, let's just pause for just a moment. Let's talk, you ready? We live in a world and we live in a society. And because the the prosperity gospel has so infiltrated so many realms of Christianity, we we buy into this a little bit. I I wanna talk about it, you ready? We believe that if we do what's right, then that gives us God's blessings and God's protection and everything's gonna be okay. Are you following this? Naboth does exactly what he's supposed to do. He follows God. He stands for what God has called him to do. And yet Naboth loses his life because he did what was right. There could be somebody in here today, listen, you've been doing what's right. You've been standing for what's right. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And it does not mean that God is against you because you're dealing with pain. It might simply be that because you're doing what's right, pain is coming your way. Don't give up. Don't give in. Hang in there. Do what's right. And let God be the rewarder of that. Okay, so don't give up. So Naboth does what's right. He loses his life. The queen comes to the king and says, hey, guess what? It's time. So she goes out and she tells the king, hey, it's time to get up. Go out and see your vineyard. So they, he goes out and he sees his vineyard. Go all the way down to verse 20, uh, 15. So as soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to the Ahab, Arise, take possession of your vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. As soon as Ahab heard it, he arose and he goes out to the vineyard. Then there's something amazing happens. He thinks he won. He thinks, hey, this is a great day. This is good. It's all golden. It's all gravy from here, man. It's good stuff. 
And the Lord comes to Elijah. You remember Elijah, the prophet? And he says, go down the mountain, Elijah. Go across the valley, and I want you to go speak to the king. So he goes across the valley, and he comes in front, verse 20. So Ahab says to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? I love that. Why does the king call Elijah the enemy? Because Elijah the prophet has consistently told the king, king, do what's right. Quit serving Baal. Quit serving all these other idols. Quit going after other things. Do what's right. And every time the king says no, there's a negative prophecy comes at him. So the king sees Elijah and he goes, oh, oh no, this is not good. Here comes my enemy. He's gonna say something negative about me. He's gonna say something bad. This is not a good day. So Elijah comes in and watch what he says. I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Stop right there. This phrase, I I spent some time just thinking through the phrase. And here's why. It says you sold yourself. The thing that he coveted, the thing that he wanted was a vineyard, was a piece of land. And he sold himself for this very thing. And now that he has got it, here's the problem. Now that he's got the vineyard, does it satisfy? What do you think? Does it satisfy? Have you ever worked for something and then you finally got it and then you're like, "Uh, so what? I remember the first time this really happened for me. I was, I was 16, 17 years old. I had been working, doing lawns. And it was that moment where I, I had the chance to go buy that Chevy Silverado. Oh, yeah. And man, I was so excited. I remember going in and writing the check and, and coming in. And, and then I, I, was, I didn't write the full amount. I had two years. I had to pay it off. And so I paid it off in the next two years. And so we're working through that. And I remember even the last point of it where I wrote the final check. And I was like, yes, I got the truck that I wanted. And it was so intense for me. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. I'm cool now, right? You know, because 16, 17, you're, it's big stuff. And then after I got it, then I saw the new truck. And then I remember, uh, then, then there was this day in which as, I'm, uh, as we're mowing, there's a, a scratch that gets put on my truck. Oh, are you kidding me? I need a new truck now. Right? I mean, it was just like, and I remember that moment. And it's just like, wow. Here's the problem. The reason we covet is because we think that we need it. And we think it's going to satisfy our souls. He says, you have sold yourself for this evil. Now watch. Here's the root problem of why it's so wrong. Because when we begin to covet, when we begin to desire, when we can't stop thinking about it, where we dwell on it over and over again, and we think that that's ultimately gonna satisfy us when we get it, and we get it. Here's the problem. You get it, and it doesn't satisfy. The reason? The only thing that satisfies your soul is God himself. And that's why this is worse than idolatry. That's why this is idolatry. It's because what you're doing is in coveting, you're taking and you're saying, I need that to satisfy me because God is not able to satisfy me. Are you following? You remove God from the center of your soul, the only thing that will satisfy, and you think going after something else. If I get that house, if I get that job, if I get that car, if I get that wife, if I get that husband, if I get kids, and you, if I get that new job, if I get that promotion, whatever it is, and we go after it and we think that's gonna satisfy, and once you get it, it crumbles on us. And here's the problem. Naboth is dead, The king has the vineyard he wants and it hasn't fully satisfied and now he's exchanged. So here's my question to you. 
that piece of land, would you give your soul for it? Probably not, right? That piece of land, would, would, is it worth losing your marriage over? That piece of land, is it worth losing your kids over? As I begin to work through this in my own soul, guess what? I have little vineyards, little things that I want. And the question that be, needs to be asked is, is it worth losing all of that for the exchange of getting that one little piece of land? So Elijah comes in and says, King, you got problems. Here's the prophecy. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna die. Your, your wife is gonna die. She's actually gonna be eaten by dogs. Dogs are gonna lick up your own blood. And all your kids, they're gonna be destroyed. The king hears this and he says, no, 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 don't let that happen. So he repents. So God says, okay, because you repented somewhat, because you kind of turned a little bit, it's gonna be postponed. But the king doesn't fully repent. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't fully repent because he still wants things. He still wants what he has. So go to verse or chapter 22, three years pass. Chapter 22, three years pass. The king doesn't fully repent. He doesn't fully get away from it all. You go down to verse, or you go down through the, the chapter and here's what begins to happen. It's time for battle. There's prophets that come and they tell the, the king, king, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna go out and be victorious. And he says, stop lying to me. I, I, I think there's something else gonna happen. And finally, the prophets tell him, king, you're right, you're gonna die. So the king decides to do something amazing. Verse 29, so the king of Israel, go down to verse 29. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah went up to Ramoth Gilead and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. So here's what Ahab does, you ready? He says, I can trick God. Have you ever thought about tricking God? I'm gonna hide from this. I'm, not, I'm gonna wear just normal clothes. I'm just gonna hide out and God's not gonna be able to find who I am. So the king hides out. And he goes into battle, but he wears normal clothes so that he can't be spotted. And here's what the Bible says. Verse 34, in the middle of the battle, but a certain man drew back his bow at random. That word is strange to me because if you know God, you know there's, there are no accidents with God. There's no randomness with God. God is in control of everything. So a certain man just happens to pull back his bow, just happens to, to let the arrow fly. And as the arrow flies, it's directed and it goes right to the king who's in disguise and it strikes him in his chariot and he gets into the chariot. He stays in there for a little while and he ends up dying. And as he dies, they take him back. They get the king, begin to prepare him. And here's what happens. Go down to verse 37. The king dies and was brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. I, here's where it's hard for me. It's hard to say the vineyard was worth that prophecy. Are you, are you tracking with this? And I'm, my question becomes so personal to myself is, Heath, what are you hanging on to that you think is, that you have to have so bad that you're willing to give your life for it? And then we have to move to Jezebel because the prophecy didn't stop with just the king. 
Now you move to Jezebel. Go over to 2 Kings. Let me show you what happens to her. The king is dead. 2 Kings chapter 8. There's a new king that's going to come on. There's some stories about Elisha. And you go all the way over to, um, let's go over to chapter 9. Chapter 9 of 2 Kings there's a new king anointed. The new king is told, it's time to now wipe out all the descendants of Ahab. You need to follow what God has called you to do. So the king begins to go through the process. He begins to get rid of all the idols and he begins to clean Israel. Second Kings 9 and verse 30. So Jehu comes to Jezreel. Jezebel hears of it and she paints her eyes and adorns her head and looks out the window. Okay, time out. This is funny. This woman... She hears that this new king is coming, that he's, he's actually destroying everything, and here's what she does. She puts makeup on. <laughs> Hello? You put makeup on, really? She puts makeup on, she adorns herself, and she wants to look pretty. She looks out the window, Jehu looks up, and he says, hey, is there anybody who's on my side? And they said, yes. A couple servants look out, say, yes, we are. And he says, throw the queen out. They throw the queen out, and the Bible actually says that her when she hits, the blood splats on the horses, on the walls, and then they run over her with the chariots as they go into town. And Jehu goes in, and he sits down, and he says, I am hungry. If I just saw somebody splat, more than likely, I'm not saying, hmm, makes me sound, think of a chili. I, I'm not thinking hungry right now. And she, he runs, they run over, he goes in, and he eats, and then he says, okay, she's a queen. We probably do need to take care of her, so go back out. So go back out and take care of her. And then look what it says. Verse 35. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Hello. Why? Because the dogs have eaten them. When they came back and told, the, told him, he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel. So that no one can say this is Jezebel. This was the prophecy. And here's what bothers me so much. If it would have been about, if it would have been about idol worship and building the bells, we could have handled that a little bit better. But it was the prophecy that was spoken because they coveted and they wanted something that was so simple. It was just a simple vineyard. Are you following this? It was a simple vineyard, and this is a prophecy, and she gets eaten up, and they don't even have anything to bury her because her body was to be in the dung of the dogs and spread out across the land. Now, one more thing that has to happen for the prophecy to be finished. Chapter 10. Now, Ahab had 70 sons. Hello. That's kind of wild, isn't it? He has 70 sons, and here's what happens. Jehu goes in, and he says, I want all the sons lined up, and they chop off all their heads, and they bring all the heads in. I'll be real honest. When I hear this story, it causes me to have to stop and think. What is worth my marriage? What's worth my life? And what's worth my kid's life? The future generations. And it causes me to have to say this. Oh God, I pray that there's not some silly vineyard in my life that I'm so willing to give up everything for. So here's what we need to do to finish off to make sure that you have everything. I'm gonna give it to you very quickly. Let me give you three questions. You need to ask yourself these three questions to see if you have 
covetousness in your heart if you're allowing it to go. And then after I give you these three questions, I'm gonna give you two ways in which you begin to break the cycle, okay? So get out your, your bulletins. Make sure you write this down. Let me help you out because I think this will give you some, some good things to think about as we leave here today. The questions. Am I covetous? Here's where it starts. Number one, do I rejoice with others? It's a great question, isn't it? Do I rejoice with others? Romans chapter 12 and verse 15 says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Here's what I have found in the human experience. It's really easy to weep with those who weep. Even if you're not a crier, when you have something bad that happens to your friend, it's really easy to come alongside them and say, man, that's a bummer. That's really hard. And what you're really doing in your heart, you end up almost saying, thank God it's him, not me. Right? Now, we won't say that out loud, but that's, it's a lot easier to weep with somebody who's weeping. The problem is this, to rejoice. Can I actually rejoice with somebody who has what I want? Can I rejoice with the person when they get that job promotion that I wanted? Can I rejoice with someone when they get the very car that I was hoping to get? Can I rejoice with someone when they, whatever you fill in the blank, and I don't get it, can I rejoice with them? If you cannot rejoice with them, and I'm not talking about that fake rejoice, oh, good for you. I'm talking about truly being able to rejoice then there's probably covetousness that you're gonna have to deal with. Number two, here's another question. How often do I think about the same thing? It's a simple question. How often do I think about it? Okay, so you want that new bass boat. How often do you think about it? You think about it tonight? The next thing you know, you're thinking about it next, the next night. And then it starts happening in the morning. Then it starts happening in the afternoon. And then you start making points. How often do you keep having the same thought? If it's a constant reminder, if it's a constant thing, then there's a good chance what you're dealing with is covetousness and you're needing to work through it and you need to call it what it is. I'm coveting right now. How often do you think about the same thing? And then number three, how do I respond when I don't get what I want? If you can answer that question, it will greatly move you towards understanding what's going on in your soul. How, how do I respond? Do I get mad? Do I become more competitive like King Jezebel? Do I become more like pouty King Ahab? How do I respond when I don't get what I want? If you're responding with rejoicing and saying, okay, obviously I don't, I don't need that. Obviously God wants something else for me. Then, then you're, you've moved beyond that covetousness in that, that area. But if you're pouting and if you're throwing fits, if you're angry, if you're upset, then you are dealing with covetousness and you just need to call it what it is. Then we now need to move to how do you break the cycle? Let me give you how to break the cycle and we'll be finished. One, you obviously have to repent. The two things that need to happen when you begin to break the cycle is this, thankfulness. After you repent, it begins to start with thankfulness. Thankfulness is this, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. If you could stop and say, well, I didn't get, I didn't get it. I didn't get this, I didn't get that. And you can then begin to walk through being thankful. But God, I still have a great wife. But God, I still have great kids. God, I still have a job. God, I still have income. God, I still have a house. I still have a car. And you start doing, you remember that old song, Count Your Many Blessings? You remember it goes, count your many blessings, name them one by one. 
Start walking through all the things that God has done in your life. And here's what it will do. It begins to shift. I need, I want to now you begin to say, God, thank you for what you've done. And you move and you're doing a shift. You're moving the I want out and you're moving God back in. Do you see that? And you begin to say, God, thank you for how you're working. And then here's the next thing. It's generosity. Be thankful for what God has done. And then you begin to be generous. Here's what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Here's what I have found. When I begin to want, when I begin to crave, and I repent of it and I say, God, thank you for all the blessings, then I turn around and do this. God, who do I need to give to first? What do you want me to give to? How do you want me to give? Who do I need to be generous? And when I ask that question, here's what it does. It releases me from the bonds of I need, I want, and now I begin to be outward focused and now I'm asking God to work through me because I begin to realize everything that I own is not mine anyway. It was a gift from God and God wanted me to use it for his cause. It will radically reshape the way in which you see 